Absolutely in your freedoms. I do. You got to do what you have to do. But I recommend take the vaccines. I did it. It's good. Take the vaccines. But you got now. That's okay. That's all right. You got your freedoms. But I happen to take the vaccine. If it doesn't work, you'll be the first to know. But uh, you do have your freedoms. You have to keep. You have to maintain that. You have to maintain that. And you got to get your kids back to school. All right. I'm Ben Burgess. This is Give Them an Argument. I am joined by producer Kale uh, and by our graphic designer, J. Andrew World. Uh, in a little while, I'm going to be joined by Nando Vila uh, of Jackman's Weekend's show and Woke Bros and also by Jason Miles from This Is Revolution. Uh, we are going to do a deep dive on Mr. Charlie Kirk. Uh, and then uh, we're going to continue talking uh, talking Charlie with Mark Ward and Ryan Lake uh, a little bit after that. But uh, the voice you just heard, of course, was um, former reality television host uh, Donald Trump. Um, let's see. Oh, also, uh, he was briefly president of the United States. Uh, talking to uh, talking to a rally, and um, you know he's he's done a lot of things uh, that uh, you know, like he said a lot of things a lot of people might find objectionable for various reasons, but you know his people they they stay with him. Remember, he famously said in 2016 that he could shoot a guy uh, in uh, Central Park or Fifth Avenue, whatever you know, whatever New York reference he used. Uh, and uh, and his supporters would still vote for him, uh, but uh, uh, saw somebody ask in the chat. Yes, of course we're taking super chats tonight. Uh, but uh, but you know that's how loyal they are. They could see him shoot a guy, and they would still like him. But recommending the Chinese Bill Gates, you know, mind control vaccine—that's a that's a step too far. Yeah, I think our new political position to, should be to unvaccinate everyone. That's that's the counter to this culture war, actually. If Trump is going to be pro-vaccine, we should be demanding that liberals unvaccinate themselves. Take an antidote that, you know, that makes you just as vulnerable to COVID as they were before. I mean, that this would be the um, the Red-Brown alliance of, uh, on the one hand, you have like Jacobin socialists, and on the other hand, you have uh, Pfizer, Moderna, who are like, yeah, if you want to get rid of it with another... Uh, prescription and then you want another vaccine in like six months when you change your mind because you're like wishy-washy liberals cool let's do it that's <laughs> this is the this is the new jacobin line sorry guys yeah it, uh. <laughs> uh, infect everybody inject everybody with just a little bit of covid to reverse the vaccine yeah <laughs> uh, sensible centrist position uh speaking of sensible centrist positions uh, we've we've talked about this uh, a little bit before but it has been pretty remarkable to see uh, Joe Biden, who the media loved uh, up until last week, uh, that the mainstream corporate media was just in love with this guy. Like there were there were articles about Biden's, you know, like spending bills and stuff that were like the kind of thing that uh, that the censors would have stopped from going into Pravda in 1975. Uh, because uh, not because it was critical of Brezhnev, but because it was like too glowing and it was getting embarrassing, you know, that you need to, well, you need to tone it down a little bit. But they have turned on him hard uh, in the last week or so uh, because he got out of Afghanistan. Uh, and we have uh, been seeing a lot of mainstream media pundits 
and and supposedly neutral journalists, as well as people officially doing opinion and commentary, who are very very angry about uh, about Biden uh, leaving Afghanistan. Uh, the the combined amount of coverage that the war in Afghanistan got in like the last ten years is probably less uh, than uh, it's gotten in the last week uh, because of uh, because of the pullout and. Uh, this again, this this makes sense in a certain sense. Like this was like such a, a unified establishment position up until uh, very recently that okay, other wars are one thing. Maybe we shouldn't have invaded Iraq, but definitely the United States needs to be doing this forever war in Afghanistan. Uh, but since in the last uh, week or so, uh, since the uh, since the pullout, um, there has been. Uh, constant media coverage, uh, these these iconic images, like we saw, you know, uh, some of the stuff we were showing last week of uh, of people hanging onto the side of you know of planes, uh, you know, because because they wanted to be uh, they wanted to be evacuated. There has been a lot of coverage of the human rights atrocities that the Taliban, of course, really is committed and really is going to commit, really has committed in the in the past. Uh, it's it's a you know, I mean, it's a horrifying you know fascist like uh, entity. Um, yeah, yeah, that's not exactly what Marxists mean by fascism. You know, don't, don't, don't at me about that, nerds. I said like, right? Fascist like. Uh, but, uh, but it's the, the Taliban, uh, you know, really is uh, mass murderous, really does, you know, uh, persecute, uh, you know, religious minorities and brutally oppress women, uh, kill gay people, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, now, we can talk about the uh, lack of coverage of human rights abuses in Afghanistan for the last 20 years in the mainstream uh, Western press. Uh, our good friend Bra Branko uh, Marcetic has written some good stuff about this. Uh, when you look at uh, the, the warlords who are actually allied with the United States in Afghanistan and, uh, and a lot of, you know, a lot of their human rights practices, uh, it's not as much better uh, than, the, uh, than the Taliban as uh, as you might think, certainly the United States itself uh, operating, you know, death squads in Afghanistan. These 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 kill teams that would often kill the wrong people. Certainly in a totally extrajudicial way. Uh, the this you know airstrikes on on wedding parties over and over again because the occupiers were just that uh, itchy fingered and just that oblivious, you know, to uh, local customs. They couldn't tell the difference between a gun being fired at a Taliban attack and a gun being fired as part of a wedding celebration. Uh, but nevertheless, it is true that lots of people right now have very good reasons to want to flee Afghanistan. Uh, if, if you're a, a gay person in Afghanistan, if you are somebody who, you know, worked, uh, you know, with the United States at some point in the last 20 years in Afghanistan, and we could do the sort of keyboard anti-imperialist thing and say, well, screw them if they did, but, you know, people are try to navigate a horrible situation, make all kinds of decisions uh, in that uh, in that scenario. And they certainly have good reasons uh, to, uh, to want uh, to flee Afghanistan. And we've been hearing a lot from uh, from hawks of the media saying, oh, isn't this terrible that uh, that Biden pulled out of Afghanistan when this means all these human rights abuses are gonna be going on, when this means uh, that, uh, that all these people have, have reasons to flee. And the point I made in an article I wrote Jacobin uh, for uh, for last week is very very simple. Uh, it's self-explanatory. It's called "The Best Way to Help Afghans Is to Let Them Come to the U.S." Uh, 
And um, and in uh, in that article, you know, the uh, the the point I was making is very simple: that the idea that the United States should be helping all of these people who I just mentioned by staying in Afghanistan is absurd. It's insane. Uh, if twenty years and trillions of dollars wasn't enough uh, to you know to you know crush the Taliban and to institute a stable government that was aligned with U.S. interests, another year certainly wouldn't be. Another five years certainly wouldn't be. Realistically, another twenty years wouldn't be. The I, putting aside the morality of the kind of bloody warfare that the United States has been engaged in for the last 20 years in Afghanistan, just as a matter of practicality, the idea that we have the capacity to remake other people's societies by force uh, in this way, I think has just been totally refuted by the events of the last 20 years. But there is exactly one thing that U.S. decision makers actually could do to help all these people, and that's just to let them all come over here. All right, we want to bring on Jason and Nando in just a minute, but uh, thoughts, guys? I know the big thing I'm always uh, curious about, you know, uh, aware of and, and just um, that, that I've not seen a lot of follow up on is is actually how we're, we're actually implementing this, uh, because uh, I was talking to an immigration lawyer earlier and he, he mentioned that uh, uh, the USCIS, which is the uh, group that that actually is going to be looking at uh, asylum cases, is like way over overbooked. I mean, they're like way behind on it as it is. And now we're going to be adding, you know, a couple thousand more uh, cases onto their plates. So this is this is actually going to kind of get, be uh, an ugly system uh, because, as far as I know, Biden is not looking to expand uh, um, uh, the the uh, uh, officers in, in that uh, in that court or in that uh, in that organization. Yeah, and, and I think the more crucial point is that, unfortunately. Um, yeah, we might be adding thousands of cases to their dockets, uh, but it's nothing like the scale of the problem. I mean, since January, the, the it sounds like a bad joke, but since January, the United States has admitted 500 refugees from Afghanistan. Biden is talking about tens of thousands, but I mean, that's a drop in the bucket. You know, we're, we're really talking about millions of people who, who need a place to live as a result of the catastrophic consequences of American foreign policy going back to the 1980s when uh, Reagan was arming and funding the Mujahideen uh, to fight the uh, the Soviet Union. Um, and, you know, as, um, you know, like, man, as, as justice goes, like burning down somebody's house and then letting, letting them live in their, your spare room isn't much. Uh, but it's better than not letting them live in your spare room. And there's really no good reason that every single person who's fleeing Afghanistan right now could not be allowed into the United States. Uh, if we if we expanded the Afghan-American community by a few million uh, and, and hired enough caseworkers, you know, to, uh, to make that work, um, it wouldn't negatively affect the lives of anybody watching or listening to this in any way. Uh, there, there would be, uh, there'd be more work for, uh, for refugee, uh, Asylum, you know, case workers. Uh, there would be more restaurants that served Afghan food. Uh, that that would be the that would be the main uh, change that you'd notice in the world. Uh, Kale, final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, there's um, there was some polling that was done recently, and 81% of Americans said that the United States should support Afghans who worked with U.S. troops. So they're namely talking about uh, interpreters. Um, uh, and I mean, in some ways, like that's actually 
fairly remarkable that the number is that high. And yes, there's like a stipulation that it's those who help the U.S., but it's kind of like a loose ideological frosting on top of it. The fact that people are actually very willing to to let people into the country that like the U.S. actually the U.S. population actually has fairly uh, liberal views on uh, on immigration and on people coming here. Um, there was the other part of the poll was that they found that 63% of the population approved of the U.S. pulling troops out of Afghanistan, despite the fact that the entire media has been wall to wall, uh, you know, just salivating over wanting greater bloodshed in, in the country, um, that they want us to, to provide into reverse course and go back in with even more troops. Um, you know, one, it kind of just speaks to the limitations of of the media. Um, but also, I think it's like worth remembering that within the Trump era, Trump would regularly get, you know, uh, his approval rating was typically around 50%. I think it was like high 40s or something. It was um, the, the country typically when they would ask like how the president's doing on X issue would be pretty split 50-50 on most things. So the fact that uh, there's a poll that says over 60% of the population is in favor of leaving Afghanistan, that there's an even larger poll or, or a poll that has even larger numbers saying that people would be welcoming uh, people fleeing Afghanistan into the country is a good sign. Um, obviously, the thing that matters, like Ben saying, you know, it's the fact that immigrants or refugees would be coming into the country really isn't that big of a deal that we have so much space and so much so many resources to go around for these people um the problem is that the vast majority of working people are you know living hand to mouth right now that they're just barely getting by because of the fact that we have a ruling class that puts them in this precarity all the time and so the right wing will very easily even if people aren't experiencing an influx of refugees uh, say, well, the reason why, you know, this week you're living hand to mouth is because of Afghanis. Uh, last week it was um, people from Guatemala or something or Honduras. And, and this week it's it's Afghanis. And so it remains, you know, the political task of the left to, to deal with this in, in the most sane way possible. Um, but at the same time, I think it's worth also acknowledging that the population actually isn't so rapidly anti-immigrant, uh, you know, uh, pro-U.S. isolation as as maybe it maybe is is uh, often portrayed as, you know, yeah, that no, that's support what, that's for Trump. Mean. Yeah, a support for Trump hasn't necessarily also meant a support for, uh, you know, hyper xenophobic immigration policy. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I should also add, if it's the same poll that I was looking at, that's uh, 63% um, of Americans support the withdrawal from Afghanistan. That's not like 37 or against it. There are a bunch of people who are undecided. The poll I saw, at least only 22% of Americans are against uh, the pullout from Afghanistan. Now, of course, you'd think one person who's definitely not going to be in that 22% would be... Uh, our good friend of the show, uh, Charlie Kirk, uh, because uh, he's, um, you know, he's a, you know, make America great again guy. He's an America first guy. And uh, of course, we all know that the America first crowd is against uh, having these these endless nation building wars overseas. Oh, wait, wait. I'm, I'm being in my non-existent earpiece. I'm being told something. Do we have Charlie's tweet? We do. All right. Yeah. Joe Biden is a traitor to his country. Huh. Well, um, that's a that's a plot twist. 
uh, that Joe Biden is a traitor uh, for uh, for doing uh, what Trump actually said he was going to do and uh, pulling out of Afghanistan. But Trump um, set up this entire process that Biden's carrying out what Trump set up in his last year. Yes, uh, Trump was awesome, but Biden is a traitor for carrying out uh, you know Trump's uh, treaty and withdrawing uh, from uh, from Afghanistan. Uh, that's 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 an interesting maneuver. Uh, if uh, if Charlie agrees to uh, the debate offer that's that's on the table uh, from uh, Town Circle, uh, enough money, by the way, has been raised to pay for uh, seven thousand and change meals for people in need. If you did agree to that, uh, the offer officially expires tomorrow. Uh, then that's this is something we could talk about then. But meanwhile, uh, we are going to uh, be, uh, be be talking about doing a deep dive on all of Charlie's views. Uh, with in this first part of the show, uh, two of our all-time favorite guests, uh, who are Nando Vila uh, from uh, Woke Bros and Jacobin's Weekend Show, and more, most importantly, the monthly series of GTA bonus episodes recapping The Sopranos, and uh, our good friend Jason Miles from This Is Revolution. What's up, Ben? How's it going? Nice to internet meet you, Nando. It's a pleasure. Nando, have you uh, have you listened to this as revolution? I have not. You should. I, I apologize. I should. Yeah, uh, I should check it out. I need to add it into the rotation. Yeah. Uh, Nando, yeah. Are you from Florida? Are you from Miami? I am. I am from Miami. I saw that. I saw that three hundred five area code. I was like, I thought he was from L.A. No, I live in L.A., but I was born and raised in the county Dade. Oh no shit! My co-host lives in Florida, in in Miami. <sighs> oh yeah. hell yeah. Yeah, well, Ben, Ben, Ben lived in Miami as well. We're all yeah. very Miami friendly. Yep. Um, and I'm mad at Ben Burgess for making me watch Charlie Kirk videos. <laughs> well, um, save that because we've been much more bad in about uh, 40 minutes when we're done with this. Uh, so, uh, Kel, do we have the uh, the first one? Uh, the uh, for the uh, Kulinski uh, Kulinski debate. This is the bigger philosophical point, and this is where Kyle and I will find no agreement whatsoever, respectfully. Is it our money or is it government's money? And that's a really important discussion to have because you, fr you frame this as the creation of wealth is somewhat of a bad thing. I'm not going to try to mislabel what you're saying, but just because someone got rich does not mean anyone got poor. In order to get rich in a market society, means you have to employ people, you have to have a good idea, you have to voluntarily sell it over a long period of time, people have to purchase that product, you have to continue to prove yourself, you have to probably buy property or rent property, you have to get money flowing through the economy. Just because someone got rich does not mean they went around and stole the money away from people. Wealth creation in a market society requires innovation, entrepreneurship, something that makes every single person Person in this room richer. So when someone gets rich in a market society, they did not pillage and plunder and get that money with putting guns to people's heads. Instead, they were creative, they were entrepreneurs, and they were innovative, something that should be rewarded. And so that's why, that's where the philosophical difference is. You look at wealth creation as something that might be bad. I don't want to mislabel it, but your, 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 what I think. <laughs> your preferred presidential candidate says billionaires should not exist. I believe, I believe that every single person in this room an iPhone that goes to Amazon.com and uses Google and Facebook. Your life has been made better thanks to the profit center that only someone that can become a billionaire is made possible. A market economy is the greatest, most assured way to create wealth for all people. Socialism is much more about hating the rich than helping the poor. I yield my time to talk. Okay. 
Well, allow me to steal from your favorite, uh, well, he's president now, but wrong. <laughs> so, look, I just want to test your theory real quick on wealth creation here. So, I'm going to give you two facts. I just want a yes or no answer. Jeff Bezos has over $150 billion. There are 50,000 homeless veterans in this country. If you could take 1% of his money to end homelessness for veterans, would you do it? I, I hope he gives it voluntarily. I will, I will not put a gun to his head. That's no. Awesome. You love to see it. The do you remember that? You guys remember that video of like Charlie Kirk on his show when he looked like he was on drugs? Oh, he's coke. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. No. I remember that video, yeah. and he looked mad cokey. And and you can't look me in the eye and tell me homeboy is, is gonna piss and it's not gonna pop hot. He's coke. <laughs> he gets good I mean, right wing money. He's got hella followers, and he's doing pure Peruvian blow. My only, my only counter to that, my only sort of little bit of skepticism to that is that uh, I just don't think he's cool of cool enough to know where to buy it. You know, like uh, you know, it's like what, he just does he go down to like the Coke store? He can't do that. So you know, he's he just doesn't have he doesn't okay. have a he's not okay. cool enough to have a connection. Like Charlie Coke, I think Charlie Coke <laughs> for a long time. Okay. So, so then we're doing an ad hominem. We're doing a debate fallacy. I know you're a big debate guy. We're doing an ad hominem, which is very bad. And well, it's, uh, well, that's not actually at all what ad hominem means. This is uh, I don't even know what it means. To I, me I, I, I know this is both like, this is both me at my like lamest and nerdiest, but also it's like a useful correction that uh, like everybody on the internet uses ad hominem to mean saying something mean. Uh, it it means saying something negative has nothing to do with what somebody is saying and treating that as a reason to say that they're wrong. Mm, now, it's not okay. ad hominem if you say Charlie Kirk has a Coke problem and here's why he's wrong about capitalism, that like as long as you get around to it, right? You know, it's not ad hominem. Right. Uh, you're, you're, just, uh, you're just like stating some other opinions and then uh, you're doing the refutation. Or it could be that you don't even think it's worth it, but you know, you say you just do that as long as you're not treating it as a reason to think he's uh, he's wrong about this. It's uh, it's not it's not ad hominem. But I do want to weigh in on this issue because I think uh, there's a way that both of you could be right. And <laughs> if you if you're both right about this, that Charlie Kirk is on Coke all the time and he's not cool enough to know where to buy it, that suggests that. There's a character who I now want to see a sitcom about who's Charlie Kirk's Coke guy. <laughs> yeah. It could be just like a, a CIA, like some CIA ghoul who like uh, is funding the Charlie Kirk uh, psyop or whatever this fucking guy, you know, like maybe he's maybe he's feeding it to him because he's getting it from like, you know, he's trafficking in it. So, uh, yeah, maybe it's is just Kirk, like is Kirk in L.A. Is he in L.A. or New York? I don't know where he is. He's got to be LA. Is he in L.A.? I wouldn't doubt it if he was in L.A. I think so. Um, but no, look, I mean, there, there could be a Charlie Kirk staffer whose job is to, in, in like every city, right. every like college town where he goes to set up the prove me wrong table or whatever, um, right. change my mind uh, that the uh, I'm, I'm mixing up my, my right wing demagogues. I don't even care. Uh, the. Uh, that like every every college where he goes to own some Marxist students, you know, every every city where he does an event, uh, every place where he goes to do a, whatever students for Trump thing last year, there's a guy whose whole job is to figure out where to buy coke for yeah. Trump in that city. Yeah, I mean, maybe he just like that was like part of the applications. Like, did you attend a frat 
in college? Uh, like, were you, uh, you know, like, were you ever suspended? <laughs> you know, uh, you know? guys that maybe lived in the inner city that had access. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, also, though, I, I, I don't want this to get lost. Uh, Charlie bit a hell of a bullet at the end of that, right? So he, he spends yeah. the first part of the clip talking about how, you know, wealth creation is amazing and everybody who's a wealthy capitalist like must be a genius inventor because that's the way that capitalism works. Uh, but then at the end, uh, Kyle asks him, okay, so um, here are how many homeless veterans there are. Here's the tiny, tiny fraction of Jeff Bezos's wealth you'd have to take away to give all of those homeless veterans homes, uh, would you be willing uh, to expropriate that Not part well. of his wealth? He says, well, I'd do it I hope he would do it voluntarily. Yeah, just hope. It was just hope and change uh, that he would do it voluntarily. I mean, it's uh, it's so funny. Like, right, like they 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 just uh, they can't wrap their minds around that that it was that you know the fact why well why don't they do it voluntarily? I mean, they, rich people hate homeless people. Trust me, uh, I live in L.A. They fucking hate the homeless people. If they could all get together and you know just get rid of it and not have to think about it ever again they would but they don't you know they just don't because they're they're never going to do it um out of out of some sense of like you know whatever the fuck it's just not it's just not going to happen um i mean i think that also the jeff Jeff bezos has been rich for a long time and we still have homeless veterans so i think that it's safe to say that the verdict is in and he's not going to do it voluntarily not gonna do it maybe tomorrow you don't know maybe tomorrow he's gonna wake up and do it uh, our, our graphic designer, J. Andrew World, says that uh, Charlie lives in Longboat Key, Florida. I don't, that's not where I grew up. I did not grow up in the Keys. I'm not a fucking Jimmy Buffett asshole. You know, uh, uh, that's just not, that is that is fake news. Lying fake news from the from the Ben Burgess show. So he's out of Florida. So he probably has, he, he knows where to find cocaine. He's in yeah. South Florida. Just go to the beach. It'll, it'll, <laughs> it'll, fall into it'll float it. up. It'll float. It'll float up. <laughs> at a certain point. Okay, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess the one reason that I think it is maybe, like, I mean, beyond the fact it's just so astonishing that he bites that bullet, like, yeah, it's it's the. I guess the one reason that is maybe a little bit interesting is that I think maybe Kirk recognizes that he can't just say the obvious thing and yeah, sure, you know, raise raise Bezos's taxes by like half of a percent so we could like house all the homeless veterans. He's not going to say that because he is in a weird way. Like he's got insane beliefs and all this. And he, and he, he does all these weird talk radio tricks, but he's sort of quick on his feet in these things. And I think he does realize that if he said that, that's kind of game over. Cause if we would do that, then what about the, the non home, the non veteran homeless mm-hmm. people, you know, <laughs> like what, you know, is the condition of workers at Amazon. I mean, when I interviewed Chris Smalls uh, last year, I think he said three or four people had died in his facility when COVID was first coming around. Yeah, Char- so, so uh, Smalls was uh, the, uh, the Amazon worker who, who was organizing, uh, a, organizing a union in, uh, in New York, yeah. in the East Coast. And then, you know, that doesn't even include all of the the itinerant workforce that Amazon has during the holidays that the movie No Man Land, Nomad Land 
is I want to say loosely based on because the the book and the movie are two very different things, especially when they show uh, Amazon is in such a positive light in that movie. But uh, the book is literally about, you know, people dying on the work floor in Amazon, older people, because they wouldn't even have air conditioning in some of the uh, the hotter the hotter warehouses and then wouldn't have heaters in the colder ones in the in places where old people were literally freezing and living in RVs and vans and even cars that of course aren't outfitted for uh, below zero temperatures. So like one of the characters in the movie Nomadland has a repetitive work disorder where she can't literally hold the gun and she's portrayed in the movie doing the task that in real life in the book it said that she she can't even uh, she can't even do. So to say Jeff Bezos is a is a wealth creator because people have jobs. I mean, they weren't just striking for better wages; they were also striking for better work conditions. That was like one of the main things in talking with Chris that people were striking for was better work conditions and just being able to come to work and not risk death. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh Yes, anywhere in Florida. Uh, for people who <laughs> not Naples, podcast, the, the question will have a hard time in Naples. Uh, they said Longboat Key is near Orlando. Can you get Coke in Orlando? Uh, so, uh, no comment. That's Mickey. Uh, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, I mean, this, this, so this is actually, I, I think the point that Jason is making uh, does get to an essential part of, uh, of what's wrong uh, with. Uh, with what Charlie's saying about capitalism here. Uh, Kale, do you have the first one of the uh, uh, Charlie Kirk owns Marxist student clips? Have you uh, ever considered how uh, most corporations in America are structured essentially like uh, private dictatorships and most employees do not have any democratic control over their own workplaces? And do you think maybe that's part of the issue? Just because someone gets rich doesn't mean someone gets poor. When someone works for somebody else, they're getting a wage, they're getting an opportunity. They're being able to pay, get their kids through college, put food on the table. Where we disagree the most with the Marxist left is that the Marxists come after this and they will say it is inherently exploitation if someone is gaining wealth. That is wrong. That is fundamentally wrong. If you buy a product, not only did someone have to make the product, but they have, they have a job, they have a wage, they're able to provide them for themselves. But if your product isn't good, people are not going to buy it. If your product is worthless, people are not going to keep on buying it time and time again. That is why things get better over time. Capitalism does three things. Makes prices go down, quality go up, and more people that have more stuff. That is why the poorest people in America are the richest people in the world. Uh, <laughs> you know, poor person in America. I'm going to go walk over to the kids that are living in their car around the corner and tell them that. <laughs> How lucky they are that they're reported Finland because living good i know it's hot as shit in here in this car and all in the summer in california but hey you're better off than people in whoa, guatemala yeah well also also in the world so it's like so you're saying that like the poorest peer person in america is better off than like anybody who lives in finland yeah yeah no i mean also just like i mean the entire world at this point is living under capitalism uh you know, it, capitalism doesn't stop at the American border. Uh, it it everywhere is capitalist now. Basically, I mean, maybe maybe you can argue like some, some Cuba or whatever. But like the 
the reality is that the entire world uh, exists in a in 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 the capitalist system and um and 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 the, the truth is that like he it is true i mean even marx said that like you know capitalism was a engine for wealth creation that it you know that it that it did um uh you know the introduction of capitalism um in europe and and, and stuff like did lead to a huge um creation of wealth that that you know, compared to feudalism, um, but it did create a different form of exploitation, a different form of of alienation. Uh, people, you know, alienated people from the land uh, and people from their work, from their the the work that they were doing. Um, so it is true that capitalism does fuel uh, wealth creation in, in a way. But it, the 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 question is, who gets it, um, and and at what kind of and at what price, and whether socialism, like what we all believe, could not create. A better future than capitalism. Yeah, and, and and I think that it's it's also really important not to get lost that uh, even though like Kirk fans love this clip, like I saw when I was looking for this earlier, like five different versions of this video, and I understand why they like it because uh, the guy's wearing a shade to his shirt, you know, and so yeah, like, he's like a, he's like a caricature. Yeah. Is that supposed to be something where he owned someone? It, it is supposed to be something where he. Owns I'm not something. entirely convinced that that guy wasn't a plant, you know. <laughs> but also like, notice you wear that, that ice out Shea shirt with a little. <laughs> yeah. Also notice though that if he was a plant, they coordinated it terribly because he doesn't answer the question. Like right. he, uh, the the question was uh, this is why Jason's point reminded me of this clip. Um, well, if you're a worker. Right. Like, uh, you know, for most people, workplaces are, you know, private dictatorships. Uh, and so the question is about like the control that people have or don't have about their lives at work, the conditions they're working in, how the value they create is divided up at the end, all that stuff. And Charlie doesn't address any of that. He, uh, he yeah. talks about how capitalism has brought about all this amazing wealth creation. He talks about how it's really good for whatever he said, creating good consumer products. Hmm. And all of that could be true, but it has nothing to do with what the guy asked him. No, 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 no. We get all the goodies. We get a bunch of snacks and a good, and you know, a bunch was, of little I toys. Thinking, I was thinking about this when you, when you called me up the other day and I was like, the first time I saw Charlie Kirk was four or five years ago when, uh, what's the, uh, chick, uh, Candace Owens, yeah, still a part of the uh, Turning Point USA, and I don't know if they were at a black college, but they were definitely in a college where maybe it was a black student union, and the whole thing was their "Get Off the Plantation" campaign. Do you guys remember that? Mm-hmm. No, no, I don't remember that. No, Candace Owens, and it, and it just looked mad suspect. Charlie Kirk would be like sitting behind Candace Owens with that fucking grin. And uh, she was she was talking about the Democratic Party is kind of a plantation. And she had the key to get them off the plantation, which was a pivot to the Republican Party. And, uh, you know, she said similar things that we all say about the deficiencies within the Democratic Party. And black people generally vote Democratic. And she was saying, if you want to have a better life you need to get off the plantation and uh, it was Damn. like all these testimonials these black people coming up like you're right you're right and this is around the time that uh she gets in kanye's ear and uh blexit 
movement starts for five seconds before Kanye was talked down uh, off that ledge. Uh, I, I w- <laughs> That's fucked up. So good. <laughs> but that was my first introduction to Charlie Kirk, and he wasn't saying anything. He was just really, really quiet in the background, just with this menacing grin as, as she's getting all these uh, black people to just like bitch about the democratic party. Yeah. Uh, I, re- I remember Kanye's uh, five minutes in the sunken place uh, from, uh, uh, yeah, uh, from get out. But, uh, uh, but, but yeah, which, which is awesome. Right. Cause it's like, okay, the democratic party doesn't really do anything, you know, to, to help, uh, you know, black people uh, completely, true premise uh that the uh that i mean the democratic party doesn't really do anything to help poor people who are disproportionately black because of america's racial history uh but you know it's it's basically a neoliberal centrist party so of course it doesn't do anything so what's the solution what's the what's what's the road out of the plantation the republican party that's going to do even less and so that's why there's a talking point uh that it was the Democratic Party who, if I'm not mistaken, might have started the Klan. Yeah. yeah. Well, they were Democrats. I mean, the Democrats were the were the, we're the pro-slavery like, party. In, yeah, we're, we're talking in the 1800s. And she doesn't really yeah. get into why there was a shift uh, right after. Yeah, the, Republicans uh, freed the Obama. slaves. Lincoln was a Republican. Yeah. And the Democrats and that, were the, bad, the baddies in the, in, in the Civil War. Yeah. That's a legitimate talking point that they have. And then if you look at, you know, uh, the, uh, the, the, the great society programs um, that helped a certain portion uh, of, of black people, you know, but there's there's it's more it's a more in-depth conversation. Definitely. We get into these conversations on the show. You know, we're not going to get into a breaking down the, the great society programs here to, to prove these people wrong. But that's kind of all that she needed to get into Kanye's ear. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the great society programs as far, as far as they went actually did, uh, did help. Uh, it's also, um, I mean, I always love the thing that like libertarians will do where they're like, you know, Oh, they make it sound like the war on poverty is the war on drugs. You know, that something's been going on for decades and decades and decades and keeps getting deeper, but we never get rid of the poverty. It's like, no, I mean, there's LBJ talked about it and then nobody else did. And yeah. uh, he created some programs, some of which have stuck around and have, you know, blunted some of the edges of the worst forms of poverty and some of which were like dismantled under Nixon. <laughs> so like, obviously, and, and also, you know, she brings up, you know, the Clinton administration, which for a lot of people was more Reagan. First black president, dude. Uh, Didn't Lee you know Trump that? Alone. She's making up for it by shitting all over <laughs> him. That's yeah. true. I remember, I remember when people used to say that. That, uh, that Bill Clinton yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Mark Sanders used to tell me that. Hall, ben. Like black people love Clinton. They call him the first black president. I was like, oh, really? That's that's weird. My grandma made white. Yeah, yeah uh, they love. I, 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 I also I also just generally love sentences that start with "black people love," you know, because it's like that the uh, yeah. like the black hive mind collectively feels this emotion. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Know, it, it's not like white people all like, like the same shit. Different like political yeah, factions yeah. and class interests and you know personalities. You know, it's like no, yeah. you know, black people collectively all love and hate the same things. So that he, that that was my again that was my introduction to, to Charlie Kirk was was watching him do this and then there was a little thing on the bottom that said Turning Points USA and 
excuse me, and I found out uh, what Turning Points USA was. I was like, oh, fuck this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I should. So, so the one, the one thing I did want to make sure to to say about that clip is that I, I think that the fact that Charlie like is often credit where credits due, pretty quick at his fate in debates, uh, like you, like I've 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 watched a couple of them at this point. Uh, the the Kalinsky one we watched a little bit of earlier. I watched the whole thing. I watched the whole Sam Cedar one that he did, uh, and. He's not often stumped, but in that case, the thing about undemocratic workplaces, he just blatantly doesn't answer the question. And I think well, that's, a- that's the that's the that's the that's the trick. Don't answer the question. Never answer the question. Just say what you want to say. And they play to the question. Now, You'll never man. lose that way. You never get your points docked by the te- the imaginary teacher. Well, well I was, I was, I was, I was going to say, like, I think there's a reason that he wasn't answering this particular question because all of his pre-prepared talking points about capitalism are about uh, capitalism, like, leads to all of this economic growth, you know, that there's, like, much more to go around, which, as you say, Mark said that, too. Uh, and capitalism, you know, markets, since capitalism includes markets, and markets, like, are very bad at lots of things, but they're very good at, like, coordinating consumer preferences with production. Uh, and that's all yeah. true, but the, the thing is, I mean, this is, like, the essential, like, libertarian and conservative blind spot like labor markets are not like other kinds no. of markets that no. if, if, if you have to sell, like if you have to, uh, if you have to sell like a, a precious family heirloom with great sentimental value to make ends meet, that's very sad. If you have to sell your car to make ends meet, then that could like make your life a lot more inconvenient and you don't get to go to places you can't walk or take the bus. But those market transactions are just a different kind of thing than having to sell eight out of every 16 hours you're awake to a private dictator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, not, and, not just that, but you also can't move around, you know, as much. I mean, you can move around a little bit, but you can't move around uh, as, as efficiently or as quickly or as to, to as far away places as, as capital can. So like, if you you're, if you're more or less stuck to your, you know, let's say maybe you can move from a, to a different city within your own country. You know, at most, you know, it's very unlikely that you'd be able to move to a different country. But the other the other guys they can move around. They can move around. Therefore, a bunch of people get left behind um, in in labor markets. Um, it is not an is not an efficient kind of uh, system the way it is like you said to to uh, coordinate consumer preferences for like you know, fucking sneakers or whatever. Let's, let's um, be honest about these discussions. They're never going to get into the weeds. And that's why I don't really, you know, Ben knows how I feel about this. I don't really like watch a lot of this shit because no one's ever going to get into the weeds in these discussions. You're playing to the crowd. Charlie yeah. Hurt plays to the crowd. What do you want to hear? You want to hear capitalism good and me yell at a dude with a Shea shirt? Eh. <laughs> well, the, the most clever ones amongst them, um, you know, of which are probably Tucker Carlson is the cleverest. Um, but in a way, Trump did this too in the first campaign is that they realized that most people find uh, libs annoying. Uh, and what they do is they take left-wing critiques of libs um, and use the critique and use, like literally use the same exact critique that, that the left will have of like the center or the liberals or whatever, you know. Um, and but then just But then just never grapple with any of the actual um material 
effects or the not not the material effects but the material questions um beyond a sort of uh, entry point critique which you know we often would make the same one like we would make the same ones of of liberals or democrats or whatever no, you know, I, think, do, I do think that the democrat the democratic party is not helping black people like i agree <laughs> you know like uh, or anyone really you know uh but uh you know, yeah, they, no, they, absolutely. Like, I, th I think especially lately, like, because a certain kind of right-wing pseudo-populist um, has, and and I do want to, like, I know that's the vaguest word of the world, populist, but I still, I still don't, I still want to say like pseudo-populist because I think it's just a very simple point, but it's always worth reiterating, right? All of these fuckers say that they want to help ordinary people, you know, and not elites, but like all of them are. You know, it's like, oh, we really care about these like ordinary people in the heartland, you know, the deplorables, whatever. It's like, no, you don't. You don't want to give them health care. Yeah. You don't want to raise their wages. You don't want to make it easier for them to have unions. You know, you don't want to, uh, you know, you don't want to do any of that. You know, you don't want to pay for their kids' college. Um, but some of these guys have lately, I mean, this goes to your point. I mean, like they've done this pivot to like they'll actually use the word capital now because they'll yeah. say uh, woke capital. Woke capital. Well, capital, baby. Well, capital is the new thing. Um, and then do, do you remember do you remember this guy, Oren Cass and like Marco Rubio also kind of talked about like their new like the right wing labor union thing? Do you guys did you guys see this? Right -wing they made like the conservative they made the conservative case for unions. <laughs> it was hilarious. Um because they were like labor union, we hate the we 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 understand that that you know workers need unions to uh, kind of collective feel part of like a community and whatever and you know, they use those kind of reactionary terms yeah and then they were like the problem is that the the, the labor unions now are all uh, you know they're all just kind of democratic party uh, you know chills uh, so we need like the conservative version of of unions and to watch them then try to like tie themselves in knots as to like how that would actually work in the real world and how they would actually implement that is fucking hilarious like you then you this would be a very good gtaa show is to just watch uh oren cass on uh sager and jetty's podcast trying to describe the conservative case of union and then just kind of completely undermine himself um uh in the process it's, it's well, well I mean, it's I, 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 sager is is an interesting case because i think he's tried harder for longer than most of these guys to to make sense of the idea of some kind of right-wing economic populism but he can't do it. Like if you if you read like a really good thing to read is Sager's review of Thomas Frank's book, uh, The People Know, in History of Antipopulism, uh, because of course Frank is talking about what the original populists stood for, the, the economic policies and how the word has become meaningless and it's applied to people based on no content whatsoever. Uh, and, and you know, how like the Trump brand of populism is, is ridiculous. It's actually a really good book. Frank also talks about like Frank also has some like really sharp critiques of like sort of woke progressive, you know, cancel culture bullshit, you know, that like he uh, he's got this great like thing section in there about Lena Dunham, like trying to get some airport worker fired. And he says that that's what liberalism is now. It's a finger wagging in, you know, the face of some prole forever. Uh, but um, uh, but in Sagner's review of it, like he obviously can't accept what Frank is saying that like right-wing populism is a grift, that there's no such thing. Uh, so he ends up basically saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All economics fine. But like, what about culture? You know, that like it's, it's a, it's culturally populist to, you know, to try to like 
oppose the imposition of liberal values on people or whatever. So it's like, yeah, ultimately on anything that's actually going to put a dollar in anybody's pocket, Sagar sort of has to admit in that review, it's like, yeah, no, everything I've been saying for the longest time is just kind of nonsense. Uh, it's, but like, don't worry, right? Uh, you get, you can, you know, even if, you know, you might not be able to afford that insulin, but you know, but we'll, we'll sure get you some like cultural affirmation. <laughs> All right, Kale, let's, uh, let's, let's do the last clip. If the Soviet example was so great, why were people fleeing the Soviet Union for Western democracies and they weren't fleeing Western democracies for the Soviet Union? Yeah, I, I don't defend the, the generation of the Soviet Union. As I explained before, uh, the, the Lenin atrocities, they pointed out that the revolution was international, that it was contained within a single nation. It wasn't contained. You tried it in Afghanistan. You tried it in Ukraine. You tried it in Lithuania. You tried it in Latvia. You tried it in Zimbabwe. You tried it in Cuba. You tried it in Central America. You tried it all throughout the... What are you talking about? You tried it on the Korean Peninsula. You tried it in Kyrgyzstan. You tried it in Pakistan. You tried it in China. You tried it in Vietnam. You tried it in Laos. You tried it in Cambodia. You tried it in Indochina. What do you mean contained? I couldn't hear what the so other guy was saying. Yeah, so, so that basically the, the student he's he's talking to um, is a uh, he's like, you know, he he looks, um, you know, he's got that sort of like, you know, socialist guy with a beard, you know, mm -hmm. like he, you know, he looks like me, right? So he uh, there's there's the kid there who looks like the younger Ben Burgess, and he's. Uh, and this, and the kid is clearly like a some sort of like student Trotskyist, and and he's trying to like bring up, uh, like no no no, uh, I'm not going to defend the Soviet model because of like Trotsky's thing about you know world revolution versus socialism in one country, and Charlie goes in to do this this sort of you know, again you can speculate about um about what uh, what substances might be going on there, but Charlie goes into this very fast, very intense. Uh, listed off of all of the countries, uh, like Pakistan, for some, which really confused yeah. me. Well, if we're talking about wealth creation, uh, if we're talking about wealth creation as a metric, uh, as Charlie is saying, the Soviet Union in 1916 was one of the poorest countries in Agrarian. certainly in Europe. It was a totally destroyed World War One. Uh, you know, it was a total like it was a joke in in World War One, like how how poorly it performed because it was its system was so rickety and um, and and it was just like a very backward uh, country. Uh, the Bolsheviks take power in 1917. Uh, by 1945. Uh, after World War II, uh, Soviet Union is the second most powerful country in the world after the United States. Uh, China, the, the 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 biggest example of like lifting people out of poverty in probably human history is the Chinese Communist Party, uh, starting in around 1980 to now, like hundreds of millions of people uh, lifted out of poverty. Let me let me actually ask you both this question: What yeah. do you say when the Charlie Kirks of the world come back at you and say, "Well, China's basically a, a, a capitalist country"? Yeah, I mean, so that, that's what they always do, right? Like, in fact, they love that last example because they say, oh, see, China has been able to do all this, but only because they're, you know, they're, they're so capitalist now that they, uh, that like back in, you know, the battle days with Mao, you know, they couldn't have, but now they have, that's all the glory of capitalism. And of course, they're not capitalist enough, but, you know, it's just because they're, even this much capitalism is enough to bring about all these wonderful results. If they were more capitalist, it'd be better. And I would just point out, that um, 
look, China is certainly not a model I would defend. I think it has a, uh, it's, it's obviously has all the sort of bad political authoritarianism of the old Soviet model, but it's also like, you know, incredibly inegalitarian economically, you know, that there, there are, there's a billionaire class in China. There are lots of people living in poverty in China. Uh, so it's, it's got obviously, uh, obviously there are lots and lots and lots of things about the Chinese model to criticize, but the idea that Chinese growth is all because of capitalism is just ridiculous. They, the Chinese state has a way bigger role yeah. in economic planning than it does in any normal capitalist country. And if you're saying that it, it does, that it's had all this growth despite that, that this is a success story for pure capitalism, not this sort of weird, unsatisfied authoritarian market socialism, that like, where are the other capitalist countries that have been able to do anything like what China did as, as quickly or as effectively as they did? But the Charlie Kirk Nothing scenario, happens. Sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, was, I, lived, I, know, I lived in China and nothing fucking happens in China without the party blessing it, you know, in any business, like any, you know, JP Morgan wants to do a big fucking deal in China. Like they need the, the blessing uh, uh, of the party. Like it is not a, um, the, it's not like a market fundamentalist society. It does, you know, there's very strict capital controls uh, from abroad. Like it's just not, it's in any way, like it does not behave at all. Like say the United States does. But, but we're talking about a person that has, has kind of mastered how to speak in in Twitter speak as I call it all you mm. need is 124 characters to to get your point across yeah. and that's it we're gonna spend chapter and verse having a conversation about the economic structure of China versus the economic structure structures of of Soviet Russia the failures of Soviet Russia the outside forces that caused the Soviet Union to collapse. It's gonna be a very long conversation. I, yeah. I have spent a lot of time putting these uh, documentary style intros together where I have to watch hours sometimes of like William Buckley conversations. Yeah. And one thing yeah. I'll say about William Buckley conversations is they do go a little more in depth than just sound bites. Uh, well, a quick point about that. I know Dado has to go, but the, uh, 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 firing line could only have existed on PBS. You couldn't get that on Pop <laughs> That's true. That's uh, very good. That's a good point. But, but but I think like on okay, first of all, I can't not point this out every time I see this that uh Charlie is doing the usual lazy conservative thing where they're listing off all of the bad, you know, communist countries and he does the Soviet Union of Vietnam and then he also throws in Cambodia because he was like, Oh, Pol Pot, the killing fields. Without mentioning that uh, that that communist Vietnam actually invaded Cambodia to try to stop Pol Pot, and the CIA backed Pol Pot uh, against yeah, yeah, uh, you yeah. know as an anti-Soviet thing, so that one's on our ledger, not the Soviet ledger, as far as if we're going to compare atrocities. Uh, but um, but yeah, I think China, like it's bad because of the thing that that guy in the Shea shirt was correctly pointed out: that workplaces are dictatorships, private dictatorships. You know, I, I want democracy in the workplace, also in larger society. But yeah, I think China shows that you can have state ownership of the commanding heights of the economy, uh, and and you know probably you do need some market mechanisms, etc. That all works way better than uh, than yeah. more laissez-faire capitalism, and so it's like yeah, just do that plus market plus workplace democracy. So there you go. Um, thank you both. Thank you guys so much for this. This was a lot of fun. Love you. All right.
All right. Uh, that was uh, Nod Novila from Wolf Bros, Jacobin's Weekend Show, and most importantly, the monthly Sopranos recaps here. Uh, I am uh, now joined uh, by two philosophy professors, uh, Mark Warren and uh, Ryan Lake. Um, Ryan uh, teaches at Georgia State University Perimeter College. Uh, Mark at uh, Demonic College or something like that. I don't remember. Demonic College. College. In the School, of, School of Demons. Amherst, yeah. New York. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I, I wanted to I wanted to have you guys on because uh, while I was watching all these Charlie Kirk clips to get ready for this this episode, uh, I was I was a little uh, you know there's there's some stuff where he uh, he gets uh, he gets into philosophy. So uh, Kale, do we do we have the uh, the first one from the uh, Kalinsky debate? Dude, there's there's this thing called a social contract. Oh, this it's is a very a simple thing. When did I sign that, Kyle? I must have missed it. Okay, well, you can go live in Somalia where they have none. Good all luck. Right, so, so you believe ah! in the Soviet theory that all of us are nothing more than a collective. I disagree. I didn't I say that. I said there's a social contract. Who do you think wrote the social contract theory? Well, I thought you liked the Constitution. I thought you liked our family. Right, the Constitution that talks about this is so important. The Constitution actually rejected social contract theory. It said our rights come from what? From God, not from government. So uh, he means the Declaration of Independence. That, yeah. That's yeah, I think he's confusing two, two different documents there. Um. <laughs> yeah, the, the Constitution doesn't mention God or anything like that. Uh, but um, I know, I, no, I think now I remember this, right? The Constitution is like, here's everything God said. Uh, there should be three equal branches of government. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's all straight from God. I mean, Kyle is right. Uh, just, you know, to, to be uh, a bit nerdy about it, you know, the, the Constitution was influenced by social contract theorists like Hobbes and, and Locke, right? That I, let me just say, um, I'm from Damon College because I might need to, I might put this in my tenure file. This is a public appearance. So I'm from Damon College and now I'm going to speak about real philosophy. Um, and uh, no, it's not true what Ryan just said. The Constitution does not list all of God's commands in it. That's what the Bible does. Mm. I already applied for tenure so I can say whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> nice, nice. I like to hear it. Uh, so. All right, so uh, <laughs> it is it is true that the Declaration <laughs> of Independence uh, mentions um, mentions God, uh, but what I find really interesting about this this is not the only place that Charlie says this. Uh, he's he's really fond of of this point that uh, that rights don't come from man; their rights come from God, um, mm -hmm. and of course uh, this this makes. You know where my head goes is as soon as I see this is something uh, called uh, the Euthyphro problem, uh, which uh, we will we'll get into what exactly that is. But I, I want to just do the scenic tour here and set this up. So uh, if uh, so, Mark, if, if somebody says, "Okay, um, here are my views," like there are certain rights that we should have. We should have I don't know freedom of speech and. Uh, uh, right to a fair trial, maybe, and you know, you, you list off the rights uh, that you that you think the people should have. Nothing about workplace democracy, but you know, like at least those first two and some others like that. Um, and then you'd say, well, why why do we have those rights? What's what's the reason? Moral, you know, like presumably when he says God gave us those rights, he doesn't literally mean 
that God is like in the business of enforcing those rights because, you know, clearly not. Uh, but mm. what he uh, seems to me by God gave us those rights is that the explanation for why it is that we have those rights is that those are rights that God thinks that we should have. Like the thing that makes it morally wrong to deny people those rights is that it goes against God's will. So what, like, I think there are a few problems that you could have with this kind of leading up to the Euthyphro problem. Yeah, I think the Euthyphro problem is is maybe the, the big one. It's the kind of metaphysical problem. But before you even get to the, that problem, there's just a host of like issues that come with that sort of view about morality. The first of which, uh, I mean, it, it should at least be admitted that it's possible you're right, Ben, and God doesn't exist. Maybe atheism is correct. And if if the only place we could possibly get our rights from is God and God doesn't actually exist, then that means we're committed to the view that human beings just don't have rights. Now, I know that some people think that that's actually something an atheist has to believe, but you don't believe that, Ben. No, no, I, 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 I don't, right? I, I, don't, I, I don't believe in the existence of God. I do believe in the existence of moral rights, but I think Charlie would say I'm just confused. Yeah, okay, so let, we can push that aside. And, you know, maybe Charlie's not even going to consider the possibility that God doesn't exist. Fair enough. But e even if we, we grant him that, we still have a really deep um, epistemological problem. Um, that is, we have this question about how we know what it is that God commands. What, what rights mm -hmm. it, it is that they are that God actually grants us. Um, you know, you... You listed a few property rights and the right to vote and the right to bear arms and stuff like that. That's nowhere in the Bible. Um, yeah, so those I, are I, those are interesting examples to try to appeal to religion. Like, I, I don't know of any major religion that lists those rights out specifically, the kinds of rights that people like Charlie Kirk are obsessed with. It, you're really going to have to do some inference, some inference from scripture yeah. to, mm -hmm. to get all the way to the rights. That, <laughs> yeah. and, and look, even if you do, even if you can put together a chain of logic that leads from your preferred scripture to your whatever interpretation, there's going to be the problem that a lot of people who read that same scripture come up with some very different interpretation. So you're going to have to argue that your interpretation is correct. And even if you can do that, you've got this other problem that yours is not the only religious scripture that people use uh, in the world. And so how is it that you know that your scripture is the one that actually is divinely inspired and not the Quran or the Upanishads or Dianetics or, or whatever. Um, and this leads to another really practical problem, a kind of civic problem. In a multicultural democracy like the one that we have, you have to be able to translate your religiously inspired moral convictions into some sort of secular language. Mm -hmm. um, the reason you have to do that is because we have to live together. And yeah. uh, your justification for a law can't just be that it says God, it says here in this book that God commands this law. Yeah. Or on my interpretation of this book. Yeah. That's one of the points I always like to highlight in classes. Uh, drive that point home that uh, if we really took this kind of divine command theory view seriously, like what happens to moral dialogue, moral dialogue becomes trying to resolve our religious disagreements. And that's not a very promising avenue for uh, civic discussion. And you yeah, have a if if you say if you say um, we should have this law and and I say why and you say because uh, my my holy book 
uh, commands me, you know, to to institute it, uh, then you know, if if I don't, if if I that holy book is not meaningful to me, uh, or or even if I interpret it differently, um, then we have a problem. And for what that problem looks like in practice, I mean, see like Europe in the 1500s and 1600s, like that. This this was a yeah. uh, you know, I mean, Google that at your leisure, but you know, not fun. Yeah, that's right. And they're, I mean, they're they're appealing to the same book. <laughs> it's, it's, it's people slaughtering each other and burning each other at the stake over their different interpretations of how to, to read scripture. And then, no, to just, say, just, just, just to underline the, the point, right, circle it a couple times, like there's nothing more you can say, right? Once you say, oh, we need to do this because the, you know, because the Quran or the, the writings, you know, the Bible or the collective works of L. Ron Hubbard or whatever says that we should do it. Like, if I don't subscribe to those views, there's nothing more to say. We could we could fight, but like we, the talking part is over. I mean, yeah. you you could you could engage into in a process of translation. You could try to say, okay, you know, if I think that uh, capital punishment is bad because it's my interpretation of of the scriptures. Um, and you disagree with me, I can try to appeal to secular reasons that we might both hold in common, convictions that we both care about. You know, I, we, I can say that we end up killing a bunch of innocent people if we have capital punishment, and you don't want to kill innocent people, do you? Um, I can do that, but if I insist on only having a religious interpretation that, to, to justify my, my view, then, yeah, we can't. We're left with only the force of arms, Um to to yeah. institute our, our our convictions, right? And you know, for a modern day example of that, look to Afghanistan. Right. To answer uh, Kale's question that just came up there, uh, which which book do we subscribe to? Uh, the correct answer, the correct holy book, is uh, John Rawls' A Theory of Justice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, much like uh, the Church of Latter Day Saints believes that the, uh, the 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 Bible is is divinely inspired, but that there are certain things that get you know that get distorted by the scribes over the millennia. And you need the Book of Mormon as a corrective. I think that some of some of G. A. Cohen's criticisms of Rawls are you know are are are, yeah. are, are the sort of Book of Mormon in this analogy, but certainly theory justice. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, yeah, so, I'll, I'll accept. I'll, I'll I'll accept Cohen as a Book of Mormon for Rawls. Yes, that, that, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so all of this, of course, um, you know, all the stuff that Mark has raised so far. The how do you know question, uh, big question, right? Because because none of the major holy books actually do endorse any of the rights that Charlie's talking about. Uh, certainly not explicitly. The how do you know what God wants question. The uh, how do you engage, you know, the civic problem, right? How do you, how do you try to persuade people who might not start from your same religious starting points? Uh, these are all, um, these are all pragmatic questions, uh, and, and they're not like, you know, small pragmatic questions. They're big pragmatic questions, but we haven't really done the, the nub of the issue yet, right? Which is what Mark said earlier was the the metaphysical question, uh, and. And I should say for all of these, right? Like the, uh, like there are tons of people who are who are theists, you know, who are people who believe in a god, you know, are believing Christians or Muslims or other things, uh, who who would agree with everything. I think that's going to be in this 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 segment. I mean, there's there's even like, um, you know, not you know, 
not any of our politics, but, you know, but, but Barack Obama in 2008, you know, there was a clip of him as a, as a law professor, you know, Obama is obviously a Christian believer, but, you know, he was, he was talking about how uh, you, you do need to have secular reasons, you know, to, yeah. to, you know, even if you have religious convictions that sort of morally reinforce you and your commitments, you do have to have secular reasons that you can give to other people to, to yeah. argue yeah. for, for whatever it is you think. Uh, that, but that was the main reason I voted for Obama in 2008. <laughs> <laughs> that alone. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I took it back in 2012, but in 2008 I, I voted for because of that. Yeah. So, um, well, you know, which, which of course, uh, George W. Bush famously, according to a Palestinian ambassador said, uh, that, um, uh, uh, God instructed him to, uh, to strike against Iraq, uh, so, yeah. you, know, you know, but at least even Bush knew that he couldn't just say in his public speeches, God instructed yeah. me to invade yeah. Iraq, end of discussion, right. guys. You know, he, he had to come up with some bullshit about weapons of mass destruction, you know, so, mm -hmm. so there was some sort of secular case for it. Uh, but uh, but the metaphysical issues, we call it the, uh, the Euthyphro problem. Uh, this uh, comes uh, from a uh, dialogue by Plato. Uh, called the Euthyphro, all of uh, all of Plato's dialogues. Uh, the Socrates character uh, is always saying what Plato uh, thinks, uh, and uh, like the uh, you know John Galton and Ayn Rand novel, uh, and um, and then the dialogue is named after whoever he's talking to. So uh, so in this case, he's talking to this uh, ancient Greek religious seer, uh, Euthyphro, uh, and uh, we actually have a, a graphic. Uh, for uh, for this, uh, and uh, Socrates uh, asks him, uh, "Is the pot? You know, so in the, in this dialogue, Euthyphro says uh, that uh, he's he's doing what he's doing. The thing that justifies him in doing what he's doing, which is in this case uh, taking his own father to court, uh, you know, for and, murder, for murder. Yes, taking his own father to court for murder." Uh, the uh, the morality of this dialogue is super weird if you read it now, by the way, because uh, yeah. I, th I think Euthyphro is clearly the right, but because uh, his father, uh, his father basically killed a slave, but you know, but that's in, in Athenian society, nobody thinks that's a big deal. Uh, right. but, like you're gonna take your own father to court for murdering a slave? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but um, but. Uh, he's Euthyphro justifies his actions by reference to piety or holiness. You know, this is why he has to do what he does, and uh, and Socrates challenges him to define it. And Euthyphro uh, says that the, the pious is that with the gods love, and so Socrates famously asks him this question: Is the pious loved by the gods because it is pious, or is it pious because it is loved by the gods? So, Ryan, take us, you know, like like take us from from that to. The problem with uh, Charlie Kirk saying that uh, we have that the moral basis for the sorts of rights that he thinks should be protected in a, a democratic society is that uh, God wants us to have those rights. Yeah. So, I mean, what uh, what Socrates is setting up with that question is a dilemma. So the person like Euthyphro or like Charlie Kirk who wants to, to ground morality in the commands of God has to make a choice there. So on one hand, uh, you can say, well, uh, the gods love it because it's pious. But if you say that, then God is no longer the metaphysical source of morality. God is no longer answering that metaphysical question for you. But just uh, to it, sorry to, to clarify, yeah. for, 
for viewers at home, you know, when we talk about in the original dialogue, they talk about piety and virtue and things that yeah. we might now talk about just as, as things we might translate into morality, just morality. That's right. General, right. Or rights. That's right. Yeah. You can set up the same dilemma using morality or virtue or whatever uh, moral language you want to use. Uh, that's right. So, so you have the dilemma. So on the one hand, you might intuitively want to say, well, the gods love the pious because it's pious, but then the gods are no longer an explanation for piety or holiness or virtue or goodness. So on the other hand, you can take that, that first horn dilemma and say, uh, the pious is pious because the gods love it. But then that creates a whole bunch of other problems. Um, then the grounding of morality, for one, it becomes arbitrary. Um, it becomes arbitrary in a couple of different senses. Um, in one sense, it becomes arbitrary in that uh, that means the gods could choose anything. Um, so an example I like to use is torturing puppies. So uh, uh, like if, if suddenly the gods, or for Charlie Kirk, if the Judeo-Christian god said, thou shalt uh, uh, torture puppies, or if the gods started to love torturing puppies, uh, then anyone who tortured puppies would become would be a morally good person, and anyone who refrained from doing that would become would be a morally bad person. Um, and then when you give that kind of example, like when I give it to students, a lot of them will reflectively say, "Oh, but God would never do that. Um, that would be a that would be a morally bad thing for God to love." Or, or uh, but of course, if you're a divine command theorist, you can't say that. And so this is the deeper sense in which it's arbitrary. Uh, if what's moral depends on what the gods command then there is no moral reason for God to make any particular command or to not make any particular command. There's no moral reason uh, for God not to command us to torture puppies because on that horn of the, the dilemma, morality does not exist until God makes the command. Yeah, so, so just, just to make sure everybody gets the idea here, uh, if, if you say, like, like when Charlie says, uh, our rights come from God, that the, that the thing that makes it unjust to you know have an oppressive government uh you know that that doesn't let people have certain rights is that it would displease god that that's like the end of the explanation you know no no social contract theory no appeal to you know utility good outcomes anything like that uh that it's the 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 end of the explanation is god say well if it's just what god wants then it's not that God wants this for some reason, right? Yeah, there's no there's no moral reason for God not to want this, and if, and God could change his mind tomorrow, and that would be morally fine because more you're grounding morality and whatever. Let's, he, let's just let's just clarify. I want to clarify the dialectic a little bit here. If if Charlie Kirk responded, no, God wouldn't. Let's say you know you ask you ask Charlie, well, what if God decides from now on that there are no property rights? Property rights are are off the board. Um, mm -hmm. Kirk might be tempted to say something like, well, no, God wouldn't do that because, you know, we need, there's all sorts of reasons that you might consider, like, because if people don't have their property, then no one can really control anything and there's no security. And also, um, you know, it would really suck not to get to have this thing that I really want. Why can't mm -hmm. Charlie Kirk make that move? Why can't he say that? Uh, once you make that move, then you're appealing to some other kind. You're appealing to moral reasons and saying these moral reasons are the reasons that God wouldn't make that command. But then you've switched to the other horn of the dilemma. Now you're saying God's commands are based on some independent moral considerations, yeah, um, if, which if, which sounds much better. But then you're you no longer then the uh, God part is redundant because you, yeah. you could say that if you know if 
the thing, the reason that God wants you to have property rights or whatever is uh, is because that leads to better outcomes. You know, people are happier or you've got some sort of social contract reasoning about what you would agree, you know, nobody would agree to, you know, to this other arrangement, you know, uh, if, if they had a choice. Like then all of those reasons are just as available to the atheist or agnostic because uh, those are reasons that aren't uh, aren't about uh, about God. So uh, so you say like if if God has a reason for wanting people to have freedom of speech or the right to a fair trial or anything like that, then God those rights don't come from God, right? Those rights come from God's reason. Uh, and uh, if if on the other hand, uh, no. God doesn't have a reason uh, outside of himself for, for one, two people to have those rights. It's just like the end of the explanation is that God wants it. Then, Hey, uh, the only objection to the Taliban is that they uh, is, is, is miscommunication. If they were right, that this is how God wants you to run a society, then they'd be morally unobjectionable. Uh, if, if the heavens open up tomorrow and uh, and God says on second thought, no property rights. Uh, then, you know, Charlie would have to say, oh, okay, well, Charlie, property rights were morally good, and now they're morally bad. And if you say, no, 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 but God wouldn't do that because God is constant, and that kind of inconstancy is morally bad. We're right back to where we started because, yeah. like, well, hold on, is it morally bad because God says it's morally bad? If so, if God <laughs> says also to be clear, my changing my mind is morally cool too. <laughs> Yeah. Then we're good. Uh, all right. If you guys just have to be clear, I knew the answer to that question when I asked. I was, I, I was just leading you. I, I knew um, that was a really good answer, Ryan. But I, I knew uh, two, uh, two marks uh, tenure committee uh, reviewing this. Mark had no idea what he was talking about, and I had to, Come I had on. to answer that. No, Mark actually, Mark actually gave me a whole script to reply to here. I, I, I don't know anything, so. Um, this is all Mark. This is 100% Mark. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now, uh, b before you guys start competing too much, but who knows less, uh, let's, <laughs> uh, if, if we have like just five or ten more minutes, uh, we we do have one more uh, one more clip from Charlie that I think is just a little nice. Uh, it's like a nice, um, uh, you know, the Charlie being confused about the Euthyphro stuff is like a, a shot. This is like just a nice cool beer chaser to it. Uh, Kale, do we have the uh, the last uh, the last uh, Charlie clip, the, uh, the Nihilism one? My name is Caitlin and I'm from California. I go to school at uh, California State University Fullerton. Oh yeah, there's a big yeah. controversy happening. Yeah. yeah, I'm well aware of it. And um, so obviously a lot of my friends are super liberal and I live in um, a sorority house with a lot of girls who are super liberal and one of them in particular is very uh has a nihilistic worldview atheist super liberal and how do i go about that like trying to help her or combat that without um still having to live with her as a roommate it's a great question so all of you are going to encounter nihilists at some point in your life you probably already have uh where there is no god we're all just a clump of cells everything here is an accident um, why even be here? It's just a very dark, very hedonistic type view eventually, because then why not just stuff myself with all these substances? It's really, it's really a, a, a dangerous thing to believe. Number one, let's just talk about atheism really quick. And if there's any atheists here, by the way, 
God bless you. Thank you for being here. Um, and exactly. Um, so thank you for being here. So, um, and no, I mean that because I don't view atheists or people that are secular as the obstacle. I think of you as the opportunity. I want to be in heaven with you one day and I, I pray that you will be. Um, so that's the, the first thing is this, is that um, light will always triumph darkness. And when dealing with atheists, there's a couple just logical imperfections in their worldview that I'm going to give you a couple hard wires right now. I'm going to give you a couple cheat codes. You ready? So um, here's a couple cheat codes for atheism. They're going to say there's no such thing as absolute truth, right? That's one of their big things. Then say, do you believe that absolutely? <laughs> I mean, if there's no such thing as absolute truth, then what you just said might not be absolutely true. Then you're believing something that might actually not be true. Um, so, which they're not, which they are. So, um, so that's the first thing. The second thing, and this really kind of drives them nuts, I wouldn't recommend using this, by the way, is that without God, there would be no atheists. Like, that it really drives them out of control. Um, and, I mean, whatever. So the other thing is this is, um, when you're trying to talk to a nihilistic person, I think that, and there's a lot of different ways to go about it, but... There's one thing they can't answer. You ready for it? Here's the cheat code. The social Darwinists that believe that in Darwinism, there's one thing that always gets them confused. It's music. What is music? Now they will say that music came from songbirds. Like, no, 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 that's noise. What is music? Why do certain pieces of music make you cry? <laughs> Imagine that you um, you die and against your expectations you do there is an afterlife and you go to heaven you're you know you're you're so happy um, what a nice surprise but then there's Charlie Kirk <laughs> <laughs> I'm so like I'm so happy you could make it here yeah I'm so <laughs> how'd you get here was it my music argument did that get, did that convince you. <laughs> Well, that's what I was. What I thought you were going to go with this—that like you're at the seat of eternal judgment, and, and they say um, you uh, you know you try that sort of Bertrand Russell dodge and say you know you didn't give me enough evidence you know to to believe, and and God or you know Saint Peter represented him says well no, I mean what about the what about the music art committed that YouTube video yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually, you probably just doomed both of us on the day of judgment. God's going to replay. Remember that time you were on Give Them an Argument and Ben played the music, Charlie Kirk's music. There, were, there was the evidence you needed and you still rejected me. So sorry, buddy. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what to do with the music argument, honestly. I just uh, I'm I'm sure there's some kind of evolutionary story you can tell about why. Um, why certain melodies sound pleasing to us and why they provoke certain emotions. I mean, I know there are lots of mathematical explanations for why we like, we find certain sounds um, appealing or not. So I'm sure there's a story you can tell that doesn't appeal to God. Just Or you couldn't tell, maybe there isn't a story. Maybe it's a deep mystery that we haven't solved yet, but it's yeah. still just an appeal to mystery to yeah. say, because is, we it, haven't it, solved it yet, there then the only solution the, the, that's that right that's is, right is a divine yeah. one but, yeah. but it's also it's also just like a weird candidate for a deep unsolvable mystery that like you're you're, you're yeah. saying like the like the thing that you cannot possibly explain uh in in terms of material reality is that there are certain combinations of sounds that people have certain emotional reactions to i mean like i i, I guess i don't know um uh, 
you know, I mean, I'm not a psychologist or neuroscientist or anything like that, but that doesn't sound like something that would defy explanation. No, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like a deep mystery. It seems like, well, we'll study some more neuroscience. We'll study some more psychology. And, and, and I'm sure there are answers. There are candidate answers to these questions out there. I, I don't know them. Um, but yeah, that's a weird, that's a weird, <laughs> a weird way to argue. Um, the other thing is just, I mean, it, there's just so much there that's, that's, that's hard to unpack. Like he just, it's, it's a very dense, um, a very dense set of weird arguments, but just the way he slips from atheist to nihilist to the kind of really dumb relativist that would be defeated by um, saying, well, is that, do you absolutely believe that? Like, well, okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, so it's a little <laughs> unclear uh, whether the sorority girl's roommate is supposed to be, um, have really strong, super liberal moral beliefs mm -hmm. or, be a moral nihilist uh, and 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 think that you know do as you know whatever as thou wilt. There's no you know there's nothing is ever morally wrong with anything, or maybe we're just like error theorists about it. You're just like speaking nonsensically when you say that something's right or wrong. Yeah. Or like a third position, which he also floats, which is that she's a uh, a relativist, somebody who thinks that's yeah. like oh, it's right for you and right for me. And all of those are really different things, and and none of them are entailed by any position on theism. No, and yeah, theism. that's right. And who knows what the what the girl's roommate thinks? But I mean, when he's speaking to the room, like any of you atheists, and then he's like calls them nihilists, like he just like, equates these positions, and then like you say, also equates this weird kind of dumb relativism with with those positions. Yeah, uh, and, and also and also relativism about everything, like not just morality, yeah. but like you know, that's like, right. Like and truth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the last time you had me on, Ben, was to talk about Sam Harris and how he's wrong about everything. And that was fun and interesting. But it's like I'm wondering if things continue to go this way. Are we are you gonna invite me on at the end of next season to talk about Jesse Lee Peterson? <laughs> <laughs> like this is not this is I have to say for all of Sam Harris's problems. Uh, Charlie Kirk is. Uh, this represents a step down. In, in, it's a uh, huge step down. Like this is this is the area where Sam Harris is like, I want Sam Harris here to do, in you know, in his calm, soothing voice to explain what's wrong with <laughs> with what Charlie Kirk just said. And he would. Well, no, I, I actually think we should do a Jesse Lee Peterson episode. We could. Uh, we could really <laughs> dig into. Uh, uh, we could really dig into uh, to why leftists are such beta males and uh, yeah. and. Uh, where does logic come from? Uh, which, which is, uh, which is actually also a variation of a move, a clip we didn't end up using that, um, that, uh, that Kirk does where he says, uh, he starts talking about mathematics and, and how mathematics could only come from God, which is, a you know, interesting. Well, the, uh, the music, the music, uh, arguments, the same argument, basically, yeah. right? Just this kind confuses of me. I don't know what to think about it. <laughs> yeah. Therefore, <laughs> God. All right. Well, um, I, I really didn't hear an answer here about where where music comes from, if not from God. So um, I'm, I'm going to have to yeah. call this one for Charlie Kirk. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you, guys. I uh, really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Ben. All right. Um, so that was um, – our, our favorite, uh, you know, 
a core proposition of GTA is that 99.99% of academics suck like as, as, as people, as well as, uh, as, as well as in, uh, an ideological sense. Uh, but, uh, you know, but they're, they're, these guys are the 0.01%. So, uh, so they're, they're, they're good. Uh, they're good people. Uh, Kay- on the right side of the bell curve guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I am going to exit myself uh, from uh, for this for uh, just a minute, and then I'll be back, and then we'll go to the post game. Yeah, um, Ben is gonna. There's Ben again. Ben's back. Ben's gone. Uh, we're just ping ponging Ben on either side of me right now uh, because we're gonna. He's he's gonna bring on uh, a special guest actually. Um, in the meantime, you get to see me, and now I have to give you an argument. And I actually uh, I have prepared no argument. Um, luckily I'm about to be saved, uh, because Ben is back and he's brought his special guest. It's everyone's favorite wife on the show. <laughs> How many wives do you bring on the show, Ben? <laughs> well, I was talking about Mormonism earlier, so maybe there's a, uh, this joke there. Uh, Hi, Ryan. Hi, Mark. So. So here. <laughs> Hi, Jay Andrew. Um. <laughs> So I uh, want to talk a little bit about format changes in season three because uh, the show is going to be off uh, for the next couple of weeks. It's going to be off uh, next week. Uh, we have happy, happy things to do. Because uh, Jen and I are going to be coming back on Monday night from uh, my uh, younger brother's wedding in California. Oh, uh, I can't believe he's getting married. And then uh, we're going to be off the week after that for Labor Day. Uh, so in three weeks, the show is going to be back, and we always, you know, do the gimmicky thing where when the show has to be off air for a few weeks, uh, we call it a season break. So uh, after that, that's going to be uh, you're so professional, uh, and, uh, except for the boxes in the background; those aren't. Yeah, we, we those are the boxes. That's a <laughs> that's a curtain actually, and uh, there's, a, there's a whole stage design going on behind Ben right now. Yeah, uh, we just moved on Saturday. As you can tell, we're still very much in the process of unpacking. Um, very much so, yes. But uh, on uh, so on September thirteenth, uh, when the uh, the show is back from break, uh, it's going to be season three, episode one, uh, and uh, we are going to um, be uh, changing up uh, some of the uh, some format things. Uh, we talked about this a little bit on streams, but for people who you know, maybe only two did for this or, you know, only listen to it. You the, uh, silly people who don't watch Philosophy Friday. Uh, who are the, you people? In the, uh, in the, or people who only listen to uh, to this in audio form on the podcast feed want to talk a little bit about this. So uh, we had been uh, for seasons, uh, well, by the end of season one, then during season two, we were doing a few uh, YouTube live streams during the week, as well as the main episode on Monday. Uh uh, one of those was uh, Philosophy Friday uh, on on Fridays. Uh, my wife Jennifer, who is also a philosophy professor uh, at uh, Georgia State University Perimeter College, where I no longer am, but uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I was. I, I actually uh, where Ryan is. Uh, yes, Ryan is. Uh, I am no longer. I uh, I quit uh, in order to I quit. <laughs> uh, to focus on. Uh, uh, this show and what I do for Jacobin and all that stuff. I'm, I'm still teaching one class as an adjunct, but not for GSU. Uh, that's at um, 
for uh, that's uh, that's for Rutgers online. Ooh, Rutgers. Uh, but uh, I, that's okay. We both used to teach at Rutgers, so it's okay. I'm no longer. Uh, we are the Birdjai, by the way. I'm no longer. Well, I think there was a Birdjai. discussion about whether that's correct, Latin grammar. But, yeah, there, uh, there was. <laughs> uh, so we need Silver Harlow back on to to explain it to us again. <laughs> but um, so there was. Um, so we did this philosophy philosophy streams on Friday, you know, that's a lot of politics the rest of the week. So we would do philosophy on Fridays. Uh, we're consolidating no a little bit. Uh, for, I don't do politics. So. Uh, we're consolidating for uh, for season three. Uh, so uh, going to be live on YouTube just two nights of the week, uh, not counting any like special breaking news streams or anything like that. Uh, so the regular show on Monday, same time as it ever was. And on uh, we had been doing Sunday night debate breakdowns. Those are now going to be Thursday night debate breakdowns. Get to the stuff that involves and, me. That's the best part. Yeah. See, this is what she's like. Uh, <laughs> this is exactly what I'm like. This is this is what the show needs. Just keep going. <laughs> so, uh, so Thursday night debate breakdowns. We might start putting those in the podcast feed too. Uh, but in any case. Uh, so, uh, since there's going to be no separate philosophy Friday anymore, uh, we are, um, I don't know, call it philosophy fry Monday or something. Uh, the, uh, we're going to do, no, <laughs> we're not going to call it that. Uh, philosophy gonna... fried Monday. You have to, you're going to bring a new fried snack food every, every go. Monday. Ooh. And that's, and you, you want to tune in because you don't know what they're going to be eating while they're explaining philosophy. Just like I am Texan. We do enjoy our fried food. Yeah, just like shoveling back grease while they're trying to explain a paradox. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so right. I'm good with that. So I mean, we're, uh, I'm so, just, we're just trying to expand the demographics. That's all, right. all right. I like it. I like it. Uh, so uh, whatever it ends up being called, whether it involves fried food or not, uh, on, on – uh, uh, now, because it's not a separate thing on Fridays, at the end of the main show on Mondays, uh, there is going to be a uh, philosophy segment with uh, with Jen. So, uh, good. Got to get some women on this show, yeah. <laughs> oh come on, I can I can I can I can, I can list off all the all the women who've been on the show. There have been like I don't know ten or something. On one hand, <laughs> oh two hands. Jen, I've 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 told Ben I'm not allowed to talk about the other wives on the show. So. Oh, he does have a girlfriend named Esmeralda, but we don't need to talk about that. I, I do not. This is a calumny, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, if, if I, you know, if I was cheating on you, it would be so with somebody with a much better name than Esmeralda. See, now you've just insulted everyone named Esmeralda who watches you. Yeah. He apologizes. That's like uh, half our audience, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so look forward to that. Uh, season three starting on, uh, September, uh, September 13th. Uh, it's going to be uh, the uh, uh, there's going to be the philosophy segment at the uh, at the end of the uh, the show. I want to bring some life to this show. Kind of on the same spirit as the uh, music segment used to do with Griscom uh, at the at the end of the show uh, before uh, the uh, before the pandemic restrictions started to end and he moved back to Texas and he actually has a life now so it's uh, harder to schedule him. I am the reason why David Griscom cannot be Ben's favorite Texan. Yes, he's very high up on the list, but uh, yeah, the first the uh, the first time I think I ever introduced uh, David Griscom on the show, the, the first time he was on, which was season one, episode two, I introduced him as my as my third favorite Texan. Uh, <laughs> that would be uh, that would be Jed as one and Mark Ward as two. 
Uh, so uh, in any case, um, so uh, that's coming up again, starting on September 13th, probably do a couple of YouTube live streams between now and then. Uh, we are, we also had been doing regular movie streams, which we're not going to do anymore. Uh, although we might do an occasional movie episode. Uh, but since this one's been scheduled for a while, on September 8th, I'm going to do a movie stream uh, with uh, Jason Miles, who saw earlier in the show, and Toure Reed uh, about uh, The Thing. Uh, so uh, should uh, should be a lot of fun. Uh, probably work in at least one other live stream uh, between uh, between now and then uh, to, uh, you know, so so you got a little bit of uh, YouTube content uh, before uh, season three starts. Ben and I did also talk about doing an Ask Me Anything uh, which was kind of what our last Philosophy Friday was, was, um, you know, people asked us philosophical questions and there were some personal questions. There was a deep dive into uh, Led Zeppelin on there. But since some of y'all losers didn't watch Philosophy Friday, we uh, we might do an Ask Me Anything so y'all can can ask us questions. Yeah, don't be a loser. Don't be a loser. Don't be a loser. Enjoy philosophy. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Should um, so uh, in any case, uh, we are going to uh, go to the uh, post game now, uh, which is uh, probably going to be a pretty short post game tonight uh, because uh, for a variety of reasons, one of which is that we've been moving. I am exhausted. It's a miracle that I've been as coherent as I have been. I hope everybody's grading me out of curve. Uh, I'm going to be honest, Ben. I haven't understood the last like 30 minutes, but that's fine. You should have brought me in here earlier. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, so um, lots. Uh, so do uh, do join us for the post game if you're a patron. Uh, the, the link to that has already been posted on the Patreon. If you're not a patron yet. Uh, uh, you can become one by going to patreon.com slash Ben Burgess. Uh, so uh, you get those uh, post games after the regular episodes on Monday nights. Uh, you get uh, patron bonus episodes, which uh, in uh, season two, we were doing those on Thursdays. Now that we're doing the Thursday night debate breakdowns, maybe the patron bonus episodes will be on Saturdays or something, but you will still get them access to the discord server. Uh, we've done some discord movie nights uh, with people like our friend, Jeremy Salmon. Wait, 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 who's Trump here and who's Barbara Walters. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, some, somebody for people listening to us, this is a podcast. Jen has replied to a chat comment uh, from Strava column says this reminds me of that time Trump was interviewed by Barbara Walters. So uh, make of that what you will. I'd like to, I like to see myself and Barbara sometimes. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Fair enough. Uh, so it will be a uh, uh, will be a short uh, it will be a short post game, uh, but uh, we will uh, we will have one tonight, uh, and then uh, probably do some stuff, maybe some uh, group voice chats and stuff with patrons between now and the beginning of uh, season three in a couple weeks. Uh, but otherwise, I am going to cut off the main show there. Uh, if you're a patron, go to the Patreon to find the post game link. If you're not a patron, then you know why not? As uh, uh, as if not, why not? Uh, as my favorite, uh, <laughs> your favorite father-in-law. Uh, well, yeah, my my favorite father-in-law says, <laughs> "If not, why not?" Uh, as as it's a good uh, rule for life. One of my all-time favorite humans uh, used to say, uh, "Don't be foolish." Uh, you know, become a uh, become a patron. 
uh, so you can unlock all this and, of course, also support the work that we do on the show. So I'm going to leave it there for tonight. Left is best. Team Snoopy forever. Yeah.